We're back for season two. Yes, it's bigger. It's badder. It's... Oh, just get on with it. Bad scripts. Hello and welcome back to Bad Scripts Presents The Last Resort. Steve Jones here, as always. And guess what? Guess who's joining me? Yeah, you guessed it. None other than the illustrious, the downright sexy, Mr. Mike Garlia. Good evening, Mike. Good evening, Steve. How are you? Oh, I'm all good. I'm all good. And you? Well, I am happy. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm happy to report that I am alive. I am well. And... Um, and looking forward to another rip-roaring episode of uh, Last Resort. Absolutely. I mean, last week's episode, or the last episode that we, we that we put out, that was that was a little bit. There was a lot of tension there. It was very, very tense. A lot of drama. A lot of anguish. A lot of conflict. Felt like everything's building up a little bit at the moment. It just, I think we write what we know, and that's probably our lives at the moment. Is it? Is it not? Are we just? Uh, are we? Are we just replicating our lives in the in the, in the scripts in the story? <laughs> maybe, maybe there's a little overspill there. Maybe that. Maybe that's what's what's happening. But but you know, hey, I, I think that's how stories go, though. Sometimes, isn't it? You have the tension, and then you have the uh, the, the 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 comedy, and then the resolution, and the. And the it's a dramedy, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's a, and there's a fine line between comedy and drama. And uh, I suppose for, for us, it's, it's trying to toe that line a little bit and not go too much into the dramatic because um, that's always fun to write. But, you know, you're right. We're at that point in the story where you have to bring some conflict in. Otherwise, it just gets really samey and really boring. And, and you know, it was a conversation we had over the weekend while we were talking about this amusing. Um, and we have so many characters and so many accents that even... I am getting lost now. I can't remember <laughs> what one person sounds like to the next. It just they all start to merge and blend, and especially the ones that don't have a very strong accent. So I have I've been made very uh, well aware that Wayne has changed quite dramatically over time in terms of his accent, um, and now I play him quite straight, and he's quite similar to my voice. But yeah, we 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 can't introduce too many new characters because we just are running out of accents to to put in there that that, that we no, can no, do. No, Steve, so. It's not that we're running out of accents. There's still plenty to go on. It is we are now testing the limits of what accents we can actually pull off. <laughs> I think we tested that about six months ago and we failed miserably. <laughs> I'll never get over um, that that one. And I don't know if you've noticed this, um, or maybe it's come through consciously or subconsciously, but. Um, that time where I had to deliver a Geordie and a Scottish and a Welsh accent all in the same scene. Have you noticed we haven't written any scenes like that this time round? I, I do notice that. And I'm very conscious that we don't do that <laughs> because <laughs> when we wrote the original script, it was with a view to different people playing those, those roles. So you, you didn't have that consideration. You know, those people were just people and we'd have somebody that could do each accent. We never conceived of the idea that it would be just me and you doing a table read and getting through getting through the scripts and trying to convey um, the situation. So I think this time round, we have an awareness that when we're doing this, that also you and me <laughs> are at the brunt of this. So we have to we have to do what we can do. You've got, you've got to be self-confident with it. 
but I am deeply, deeply appreciative that, um, that people are on this journey with us as we, uh, as we discover the rest of the story. Exactly. That's... So, Steve, I had a, another kind of revelation this weekend as well. Oh, yeah? Well, it's, it's not a big one. It's, it's that thing that happens every single time. You know, um, I'll, I'll put it in smaller context. I don't know if you've ever done this, where um, you turn around to someone and you go, I can't believe it's Thursday, or I can't believe it's Friday, or I can't believe it's Monday. Have you ever kind of used that t- terminology? Uh, pretty much every day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm always the first, right? Because you know what I'm like. When, you know, I, I answer really sarcastically when people ask me questions like, you know, a common thing when you're away is, how did you sleep? And normal people answer that question. I usually answer it with lying down because that's the, you know, that's the fact, that's what I was doing. But I did that thing where I, I, I literally turned around Sunday and went, I can't believe it's May already. And I said it in a way that made myself laugh because, well, it's been like coming along for the last four weeks. And then I'm suddenly surprised that it's May already. But where is the time going? It is May already. And we started in February. Exactly. And I think, well, the point being um, that we started in March, but that's not the point. The point is <laughs> that that you're writing the date down nearly every day, aren't you? And then you're still surprised that the time is passing. It's like, well, you shouldn't be. You've literally been watching it count down. But anyway, <laughs> it's May now at time of recording. The weather's starting to improve. And, you know, everyone's thinking about holidays and summer and fun. And it's about that time of year, way back then, at camp holidays. And they're getting ready for you know their brand new summer season they've had the religious festival that kicked off um in last week's episode but the uh, we had the 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 devil worshippers visiting too at the same time so there was a chance that that, that they might go a little awry but uh, but nothing kicked off majorly so i think they just managed to scrape through that one without any major major issue there on that maybe maybe just maybe we should dip in now and find out what's happening down on camp holidays let's go interior entertainment's office night the office is completely empty apart from bernie who is sat at mark's desk he sits staring at a piece of paper and has a look of desperation on his face he periodically and frankly scratches elements of the sheet with his pen Come on, Bernie, find that inspiration. Bernie looks around the room before getting up and walking around, pacing back and forth deep in thought. He sighs and goes back to the desk, chewing on his pen. Think, goddammit, come on. Bernie stands up again and starts pacing, turning and shuffling around the office. What makes an amazing show? Cluedo the musical? An evening with the stars? Maybe Matthew Kelly presenting? No, no. Two holiday reppy. Time travelling Teletubbies the musical? Oh no, impossibly terrible. We'd never get the rights. Bernie pulls out his little black book and begins flipping through the pages, still talking to himself. Lizards from outer space. 
Bean movie nostalgia. Shorty and the Gems. A Willow spin-off musical. Heidi High on Ice. Bernie sits down and looks at his watch. Oh, they're all shit. <sighs> A show for working class cretins. Something the whole common family can enjoy. And no Spartacus by the sea. Bernie throws his book across the room and in frustration pushes a pile of paperwork across Mark's desk, which sprawls out in different directions. His eyes are drawn to a piece of paper. On the page it says, Camp Holiday Centenary. He picks up the rest of the script and smiles broadly, standing up from the desk. Oh, Bernie, you sly dog. Bernie leaves the office, head held high, and whistling a show tune as he swaggers down the corridor. So, Bernie. Do you have, do you have a favourite? Do you have a favourite show from what you said there? Um, I, I'm, I'm not sure what the Shorty and the Gems is. I, I've never heard of Shorty and the Gems, so I, I guess that's one that, uh, that intrigues me somewhat. I, I think that um, I don't know what that is. I think it just sounded funny, Shorty and the Gems. Um, yeah, and it kind of does, I suppose. Um, but <laughs> I, I best... Best left alone and not to explain. To be <laughs> I thought it was some sort of bizarre '80s Saturday morning kids TV show. You know, now that um, could work. Shorty yeah. and the Gems. Yeah, yeah, it could be like, yeah, um, what like a, a Gems people or or are they? Uh, well, they, they could be like you know, like the Power Stones Crystal, from yeah, Marvel Crystals, or something. Yeah. yeah, it could be anything. Shorty and the Gems. I I quite like the idea of Spartacus by the Sea. Well, yeah, I, I'm not sure. Or I'm not Spartacus. Sword and Sandal epic based on the life of Spartacus with an element of the sea involved, maybe right. even on ice. The and sea on ice? Wow. We'll, we just take it to the Arctic and go with that. What, like a... No, no, no. What, what about like a, like a giant um, iceberg, but it's centred around the life of Spartacus, except it's played out on an iceberg with the Titanic on the way. Right. So, and yeah, and so the end, the crescendo is when the Titanic crashes into the iceberg and they all fall off and die. And it was completely, completely um, frivolous. All the action that's taken place is just completely destroyed by the it, fact it that it builds up to the, it builds up to that story. And when Titanic, which can speak, by the way, a bit like, um, you know, uh, like a transformer or. Yeah. Or like, like Budgie the helicopter. Like Budgie the helicopter. Titanic can speak. He says, I want to you know. Yes, he challenges everyone and says on the, on the iceberg. Says, "I want to know why you hit me. Give me a name." And that's where everyone goes. I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. No, Amazing. I'm. Yeah. And and I, he's I so he's so blown away by this Royal Shakespeare Company level of performance that he literally just sinks to the bottom of the ocean. He, he literally um, bows down. <laughs> hey, I see what you did there. Thank you very much. There. Well done. Um, I get a little round of applause for that one. Well thank done. you. Um, no, uh, but you know, we have, um, you know, we we have Jesus Christ Superstar. Why can't we have Spartacus by the icy? I think. Well, look, if anybody out there wants to approach us for a deal on that one, just just let us know. We'll uh, and, we'll, and we'll crack on with that. 
Anyway. And, and, and Shorty and the Gems, um, could, there could be, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. But no. look, you know, this is, you know, Bernie trying to find inspiration. It's always hard because, you know. <laughs> is it? Is it? That's what she said. <laughs> yeah, well, I was going to say, but maybe Bernie's uh, little blue tablets. It's difficult um, when mm. you're on your own trying to, when you oversell a promise and then you're trying to come up with a solution to it and you put so much pressure on yourself. I'm sure like loads of people have been there. You know, we're lucky because we have each other to bounce off. Um, so I get his pain on that one. Uh, but they were some god-awful ideas there, weren't they? Oh, yeah. But I, I think that's intentional, isn't it? We're making it cheesy. We're making it it weird and i think we'll we'll delve a little further later on in the um in this series into a little bit more of bernie's past and his previous performances and you know where is what what's made up his cv and and how that impacts what he does now so i think there's some there's definitely more to talk about in that in that field um there definitely is, but without giving any anything away, is it worth mentioning what he's found on the desk, or are we not giving that away? No, I, th- I think I think we do know because it said the um, centenary, and it, and if we remember back to the scene with uh, Judy and Mark uh, and Alan, yeah, talking about their pitch for this year, that was the exact pitch that they made to uh, Alan and and Glenn, wasn't it for for a show? Yeah. So this was the pitch where they wanted to. Um, each month of the the season would represent a different time period of camp holidays from the 1920s right up until the 1990s. And that that's kind of what they pitched, which to me sounds great because you can really theme it up. It'll be expensive, of course. But um, yeah, Glenn just literally crapped all over it. And Bernie then flamboyantly walks in and was like, I'm here and I'll give you this and I'll give you that and it'll be the best show ever. And, you know, we're talking five. He really oversells it and then comes up short and then finds the proposal that Mark and Judy had discarded on the desk, thinking it was a dud and is now obviously going to do something with it. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, he wasn't there for that pitch, so he doesn't know what that was all about, but... You know that, so that's going to be interesting to see how how that how that, how that progresses. Oh, that's a terrible listen. He doesn't. I I get he doesn't know about the pitch. However, however, he's got he's on someone else's desk and picked up. Oh, don't get me wrong. He knows he's stealing someone else's idea. But the point is, he he has the ear of the boss, so it doesn't matter really to in his mind. He's in charge now, and it's if he if he finds that and it's been left lying around, it's fair game. And he's the sort that would stand on his own grandma's neck to make a little bit of progress, isn't he? So let's uh, let's delve further in. And, I heard and her name was Shorty. Maybe, maybe. She's a real gem. Let's move on and try another scene and see what's ha- what else is happening down at Camp Holidays. Interior, main venue, night. Dan and Haley are stood in the centre of the venue, working the room and entertaining the many children, vying for their attention. Dan is still very untalkative and forlorn-looking. Haley is smiling and as enthusiastic as she can be. Is everything okay, Dan? Fine. Haley looks closely at Dan. It's not. I can tell. Dan shrugs and doesn't say anything. He smiles at some kids, waving at him. As they walk past with their parents, Haley shouts to Haley shouts to Paula, who's a few meters away. Paula, we're just going to take five. Will you be okay? Paula nods her head 
and carries on modelling a balloon dog to an excited group of kids. Come on, come with me. Haley takes Dan by the hand and guides him to the backstage area. Dan just stares at the ground. Talk to me then. What's happened? It, it's all right. Don't worry about it. Dan, I'm not leaving here till you talk to me. What's going on? Dan sighs and finally looks up. <sighs> it's me and Donna. We've had a fight. Oh, over what? Well, I, I tried to help and I made it worse. She's dead mad at me now. She'll probably dump me. Haley looks at Dan with sympathy and touches his arm. You're a lovely guy, Dan. I'm sure whatever it is, it can't be that bad. Dan smiles slightly at this compliment. When she calms down, it'll all be okay. Oh, what if it's not? If it's not, and she doesn't deserve you, trust me, there are loads of girls who'll be lining up for a date with Dan the man. <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure about that. Haley steps a little bit closer to Dan. I am. Dan looks at Haley. They share a moment of silence. They don't speak, but look at one another. Dan breaks away his gaze first, taking a small step back. Well, um, you know, thanks, Alia, for the chat, you know. Any time, Dan. Now, let's hug it out. Haley steps in and hugs Dan, who reciprocates. Oh, eh? What's going on here, then? Dan and Haley immediately separate and step away from each other. Haley looks embarrassed and shocked, with Kelly suddenly stood there. I, I should be getting back out there. Bye. Haley leaves. She's a pretty girl, Dan, isn't she? It's not like that. It sure looked like that to me. Don't worry, Dan. I'm good at keeping secrets. There's nothing to hide, right? <laughs> Whatever you say, Dan. Dan leaves a smirking Kelly behind as we follow him back onto the main dance floor. We move towards Paula and Mushy P, who are talking to some children. My uncle used to be a camp coat. Did he? Oh, that's cool. Is he here? He wasn't allowed to come because, of, you know, what happened? What happened? Well, my mummy said they had too many special cuddles and got into trouble. Oh, right. But it must have been really funny because he had to go into the hospital. My daddy said he got the clap. Eh? I hope I get the clap one day. I like clapping. Do you? Mushy P tries not to laugh. Shall we clap now? Why not? <laughs> they both smile and start clapping. So, oh dear, um, that was a <laughs> that was a challenging one. Um, Dan and Haley, what's that all about? Let's not read into things. Haley's just being friendly, and um, mm. and um, and Dan, Dan, you know. She's the first, she's the only one that's asked Dan actually how he is. She's the only one that di is directly asked him how you doing. 
all these so-called friends haven't bothered their ass at all um, and all self-consumed with their own lives and what's going on that they've just not noticed that Dan is not himself. So of course, you know, she's dangerous territory. I'm, 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 uh, I can't deny that. Um, and perhaps Kelly interrupting was a good thing. I don't know. Well, I, like you say, it, maybe there was a moment, um, but I, I, I can't see Dan doing that. He's, he's far too in love with, with Donna to, to go there but it's interesting to see somebody approach him in that way he's not used to that kind of forward behavior not since kelly last season when she you know after her rebuttal from uh from adam and she she took refuge in the arms of dan when he offered her that cigarette so you know you, you do wonder and and you know on your previous point that you can't see dan doing that I, I, i'm sorry to tell you this steve we are the writers, and he will do as he's goddamn told. <laughs> I will fight his corner. I will <laughs> fight you. I will fight no, anybody. Gotta, he's everyone's favourite. we got to take that sheen off a little bit and just mucky him up a bit there, don't we? we just, <laughs> no. no we, I totally forgot about that, the fact that Kelly and Dan were, were once a thing, and, and then Kelly got quite nasty to Dan yeah. um, in that previous season. So all that hang-up is still going through there. I say I forgot. You know, it's always in the back of your mind, really. But, yeah, I who knows what what might have happened had Kelly not turned up, but also the consequences potentially of Kelly turning up. Well, we've, we've already seen how, how much Kelly is putting probably her anger with Sam because Sam's not there anymore onto Donna because she's the closest thing to Sam that's there and she can punish her friends for standing by her. Um, And seeing this is like, that's like gold dust to someone like Kelly, isn't it? You know, she's thinking, great i've got this leverage now i can i can have dan out eating out upon my hands i saw what i saw it was nothing or was it i guess we'll just have to wait and find out well wouldn't you like to get hold of kelly's diary <laughs> see all the dirt and the gossip it's just oh. amassing dirt on everybody exactly interior pavilion venue night donna is stood by the doorway in the background, we can see a death metal band on the stage with a large crowd of headbangers. Mark and Wayne walk into the entrance to meet Donna. How's it going tonight? Yeah, fine. No issues. Looks like chaos, but they're all actually pretty well behaved. Well, apart from the death metal mushing and occasional Hail Satan. Mark laughs at this. Wayne leaves him to go into the venue. <laughs> Certainly a story to tell about this, right? Uh-huh. Mark looks at Donna. He can feel she's a bit off colour. Are you all right, Donna? You seem a bit distracted. S- sorry? Uh, yeah, so, so, sorry, Mark. I, I, I didn't mean to be. There's, there's a lot going on at the moment. Mark nods his head. Well, you know, Donna, there's never a dull day here, is there? Wayne re-emerges, holding a bucket of popcorn. It's all good in there. Couple of small fights, but it looks like they're keeping the peace themselves. Better behave than the other lot. Great. Let's get going then. Mark and Wayne walk towards the exit. Wayne steps out as Mark turns back towards Donna. My door is always open, Donna. A chat, some support. I'm not the best advice giver in the world, but 
It's there if you want it. Donna forces a smile and nods her head as Mark turns and leaves. Exterior, chalet line, night. Dan walks with purpose towards the chalets. We follow him as he climbs the exterior stairs and walks along the first floor, stopping when he gets to his destination. He puts his head against the door and listens for a few seconds. There's no noise other than the distant sound of music. Dan knocks on the door. There's no answer. He tries the door and it's locked. He knocks again. It's me, Dan. If you're in, will you open up? Dan stands in silence for a few moments. I've tried to call you. Please open up. Talk to me, babe. I can explain. I just want to say sorry. The door opens and Dan looks up. It's not Donna stood in the doorway, but Andy, half naked and looking sleepy. What? Uh, who are you? I'm Andy. Who are you? Uh, I'm her boyfriend. The hurt on Dan's face is clear. Eh? Andy steps outside and quickly pulls the door over, hiding the figure laying on the bed behind. Well, this is a bit shit. I didn't know, mate. Can I, can I just talk to her? I need to speak to her. Not really. I mean, if she wanted to talk to you, she would, eh? Look, I need to speak to her. Then I'll go. All right, all right. Dee, can you come here a minute? At hearing this, Dan looks visibly shaken. A girl steps into the doorway. Dan looks at her. What's your problem? Dan looks surprised. Who are you? I'm Dawn. <laughs> yeah, she's Dawn. So where's, where's Donna? Dan steps back, looking around, slightly confused. Do you know him? Never seen him before. Hey, what are you doing in Donna's chalet? Who's Donna? This is my room, mate. Camp court Donna. She stays next door. Heard her leave a few hours ago. Dan looks at the door, and then his gaze moves to the next chalet along. Oh, shit. Wrong door. Sorry, mate. Don't worry about it. They all look the same round here. So you're the reason why she's been crying all day? Oh, don't, don't tell me that. Dan looks around the area. Dawn and Dan look at each other, a common look of understanding. She should be done in a few hours. I'll, I'll wait outside here. You can wait in here if you like, mate. Dan looks at them both. No, no, that, that's okay. I don't want to bother you. Oh, don't be stupid. It's, it's freezing out here anyway. Come on. You'll hear Dan come back then. These walls are paper thin. Oh, that's okay. Well, we're just listening to some music and having a couple of drinks. You look like you could use one. Well, uh, maybe just one then. I'm, uh, I'm Dan. Andy, 
I'm chef in Rod and Tackle. Dawn works in the staff canteen. Oh, I'm Ents. Oh, la di da. I've never spoken to anyone from Ents before. Well, apart from Donna. <laughs> well, we're no different from anyone else here, mate, as you've seen. Apart from an easy wedge and prancing around with those jazzy uniforms. Well, it's harder than it looks, honestly. <laughs> well, let's grab you a drink and you can tell us about how we get a proper cushy job like yours then, then, my friend. Dan walks into the chalet with Andy and Dawn. I, I strongly suspect in playback, Dawn sounds a lot like Mark. <laughs> there was a little bit of female Mark going on. Maybe they're related. Maybe they're related. Maybe they are. Never Maybe know. they are. These things can sometimes be a little insular, can't they? Because people go, oh, I know somebody who could do that. Or I know, you know, and they get them, you know, you get your mate a job and uh, and they come and do the uh, work at the staff canteen. So let, let me ask you this, uh, Steve, in your experience, in your background, have you ever gone to the wrong door and uh, a case of mistaken identity? 100%. 100% I've done that. And you knock there and then the moment they open the door and you realise it's the wrong place because everything's different. But you know, a part of you just sort of dies inside and you go, I'm sorry, wrong door. But Dan's so consumed by his upset, I think that's why he's not registered at first, that that's not Donna's place where he's obviously stayed over there because they're, they're together. They've they've bunked together. They've, um, you know, the, the likelihood is at some point they would have, you know, stayed together at the uh, guest departments they were in over the closed season. So, you know, he's he's obviously a regular there. But just his his upset has kind of knocked his concentration. I think. What about you, Mike? Have you have you ever turned up at the wrong door and he had any uh, consequences of that? Um, yeah. The, well, the, yes, I have actually. Um, only once it's happened. Um, so I was meeting this girl at a chalet, and as you'll remember, all of the we used to call the lines, the chalet lines, because that's what it looked like. They, were, they all looked completely and utterly identical. It was just row after row after row after row. Now, um, for anyone that's been to the old-style camp holidays, um, there used to be the guest accommodation, which then became um, the workers' accommodation, which is uh, what we what we took. And I do remember going to meet this girl on the promise, on the promise of a bubble bath mm -hmm. and some wine. Nice. Nice. Now, the reason why that was so important was because we lived in a caravan and we only had a shower. We didn't have such a thing as a bath. So having not had a uh, bath for for so long, I was really excited by the prospect of, of joining this this girl and having a bubble bath with it. I think it was my idea, actually. I think I said. And she went to the spot and specifically bought bubble bath. Uh, and, and I'll come back to that point in a minute. Anyway, um, I lost a bit of paper with her address on it <laughs> and i walked up and down the lines for ages trying to find the right one and i knocked at a few doors and and i didn't find her and okay. after about 45 minutes i got fed up and gave up <laughs> and oh just God. came back I just, just came back and then oh. no it got worse it got worse it got worse so um it i then had to avoid her <laughs> so I, felt so, I felt so bad for standing her up so then I just figured the best way of handling that would just be ignore the situation but I was ducking <laughs> and weaving around but she worked in the main shop oh gosh 
the place I would go to every morning for a bottle of orange juice and like a cheese and ham croissant thing. So I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't do that either. But I did, re- I, I do remember seeing, um, I do remember seeing someone she worked with who, who asked me why I was avoiding her and stuff. And I, I just, for some reason back then, I just didn't think of explaining myself saying like, I lost the address. I didn't have a number. I couldn't find it. So I gave up on land and, and a, a genuine explanation. But you know what I actually said instead? Go on, tell me what lies you peddled. I said the I said the worst thing. I said, well, to be honest with you, she's really nice and I really, really like her, but I know she's going back to university in a few weeks. So I'd rather not get attached if I didn't turn up. I actually said that for some oh. reason over just losing a bit of paper. And I, I've often regretted that because, you know, I was really looking forward to that bubble bath. But <laughs> she was out of pocket because she did buy a very expensive bubble bath, apparently. Ooh, was it like a proper Radox job, was it? Oof. I don't know because I wasn't there, but... Oh. Um, yeah, that and that was that a short-lived romance done. And and you know, it what what interested me the most there, Mike, I think, was that your excitement was more about the bubble bath than the girl you were sharing the bubble bath with. So I think, you know, that said a lot about you how you really felt about that girl, I think, in the long run. Steve, of course. It's it it would you know, it's a bath with bubbles in it. And it, and I love a good bath. And I know you do too, because you call me from your bath quite a lot, to be perfectly honest with you. Yeah. Um, I've never done that with you. I've never called you from the bath because that's alone time, but you like to have a chat in the bath and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, back then it was incredibly, incredibly alluring. Um, I just didn't think it through properly. I couldn't find her. And then I lied about it. And, uh, and to this day, um, I'm sorry. If you're listening, I'm sorry. Let's get that bath sometime. So if anybody would like to share a bath with Mike, then please drop us a moment on email or via our social media at Bad Scripts um, on Instagram or at Scripts Bad on Twitter. Exterior, chalet lines, night. Much later, an exhausted Donna climbs the outdoor steps and steps onto the first floor of the chalet block. She rummages inside her bag and finds her keys, passing dawn as she reaches her room. All right. Ah, yeah. She puts her key in the lock and opens her door. Dawn is puffing on her cigarette as she turns and watches Donna. That fella of yours thinks a lot of you. Donna steps away from the door and turns to face Dawn. Dan? What? Yeah. You've seen him? Seen him? We can't get rid of him. He's sleeping in there. Been waiting for you all night. Has he? Donna can't help but smile at this. Yeah. We're not being funny, love. Can you come and get him? We need to get some shot eye. And three's a bit of a crowd in that small room. Oh, um, yeah, of course. Dawn flicks a cigarette into the night. Cool. (laughs) Dawn's accent has just changed all of a sudden again. I was literally about to say, has Dawn had a, a she's moved regions in the time that we've... It's a very simple, some people when they smoke, their accent and their tone changes. So I was just conveying the smoke filling her her, her, her throat. And right, her that makes sense. Because yeah, <laughs> the voice changes. You go from wherever she was talking to, to Yorkshire and then, and then tone, yeah, so... Okay, it's all right, Mike. You just take a breath. It's fine. <laughs> let's let's move on and see where this is going. 
Interior, Donna's chalet, night. The door sweeps open and Donna, followed by Dan, enters. Dan looks confused, half asleep and a little drunk. She guides him to the bed and lets him fall onto the mattress. He turns himself onto his back as she begins removing his shoes and then onto his belt buckle, getting him ready for bed. Dan pushes her hands away. No, we, we, we can't. Oh, don't be silly. No, it's Donna, Donna. Yeah, it's me. <laughs> you know, she is the best. Donna loosens his top and tries to pull it over his head. Dan resists. I said no, I, oh, I love her so much. My heart, you know. She was mad today. It broke me inside. I've got to make it right. Donna looks at Dan. She puts her hands on his chest and tries to soothe him. Dan starts settling, still half-dressed. It's okay, Dan. You just relax and go to sleep. <laughs> I, I really, really love her. Never been this mad about someone before. <laughs> Good night, strange lady. Dan starts breathing heavily as he falls asleep. Donna looks at him for a moment. She kisses him on the cheek and cuddles into him. I'm so in love with you, Dan. Oh, get a room, guys. Get a room. Oh, I know. It's ah, oh, but you know what? They do love each other and Donna knows that Dan never does anything intentionally to her. So I think seeing him essentially think she's someone else and go oh, and and not be tempted by that and be so um, forthcoming with his declaration of love for her kind of reaffirms just, just how strong a bond they've got and how important she is to him. Have you ever been that drunk you don't recognise who you're talking to? Um, maybe once or twice. You know, I mean, we've all of our listeners that, that have tuned into the first season will know about Sockgate. That was the last time I got drunk and that was 2009. So it's been a while since I've had that level of alcohol. Um, I, I've not been in that position for a very long time. Have, have you ever been that wasted that, that someone's not not, so not registered? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night for me. <laughs> <laughs> Any day that ends in Y, it's all good for me. No, um, have I ever been that? No, I do remember when, I do remember actually when I was, uh, let's talk about first love then very quickly. So I remember when I was about 16 or 17, I had a first love Ooh. and um, she was a dancer. Um, have I talked about this story before? I can't remember. I, d I don't know. No, she, anyway, she was a dancer called Francesco. Uh, no, no, wait, not Francesco. Not <laughs> <laughs> ah, yes, yes. You know, that's in the edit now. He was Francesca. Spanish feminine. El, El, no, El, uh, Francesca. Uh, Francesca. And whether, whether, whether that was a real name or, or not, I don't. But she was, I remember getting really, really drunk at a house party and then being sick on my own legs. And I've got this memory of being sick <laughs> oh. on my own legs while everyone watching me. Everyone, oh. and, and, and she was there at this party too. Were you sat down? While I'm sat down in the garden, you, you being, being on your own lap. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And uh, classy. And declaring my undying love for her. 
and and saying I really love her and she's my everything and she and, and, and she, apparently she was there but I couldn't see her and I can't remember who the hell I was talking to. Uh, I was, there was a gang of them all watching me. This is embarrassing, isn't it? Um, talking, <laughs> I don't think I've ever talked out loud before. Um, but the weird thing is, I'd never actually had a conversation with her. I I, I kind of fell for her from afar, uh-huh. and then was really gutted about six weeks later when she got pregnant with someone else and um, and thus ended her uh, dancing career. Oh, no. Well, for that, for that time anyway. For that time. Um, yeah. Um, you know what? It's funny, isn't it? Because that, that unrequited love, when you're young and you, you're so nervous to not actually speak to somebody, but you feel like you know them, but it's not actually, you don't actually know the person. You're in love with the idea of a person and, and all those emotions, those hormones just sort of pour out of you. Um, and it feels very kind of in between as you know, the way you <laughs> it's, it's well, that's the thing they've got right, really, because it is true that your hormones are all over the place, you're trying to find yourself in the world, and you know, it's the first bit of independence you get as well. Where suddenly you go into a few parties, you're you know, when I was in you know, kind of like you know, acting school at the time, as you were, though we didn't know each other, and you know, you suddenly you know, you, you're getting this, this, you're being treated like adults, which, you know, from school, when you treat like a child, you're being treated like, and it just plays with you, plays with your mind and suddenly all the rules burst. But I do remember seeing her for the first time. I was doing a show in theater and it was like a 24 hour mad show uh, where you, where you basically get the scripts and you've got 24 hours to learn the entire show before it goes out on the Saturday night. So it starts on Friday and I got a leading role in it. And I was like, it was my first kind of like, I got the, I passed the audition. I got, and I was so happy. And I really thought this would be it. Like she would be, you know, into me because super I, I, impressed. Yeah, super into. No, I, do you know what? I don't think even when I was being sick on my own legs, she knew I existed. To be <laughs> honest with you, because I just hadn't come <laughs> up to them and said hello or introduced myself or anything. It like I'd seen her across the other side of the room and just thought that, oh, you're the one. You're the one for me. Um, but it turned out, alas, she. I wasn't the one for her. And you know what? She missed out. You know, that's all she, I can say. As your best friend of 20 odd years. She made wrong choices. If she'd come with me, she'd never have got pregnant. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not the way you do it. No, definitely. <laughs> and on that note, I think we've 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 had our time for this week. Um, it's been uh, a roller coaster ride. We've got we found love again in in Dan and uh, Donna. Kelly may have a little bit of ammunition to possibly put the uh, the kibosh on that again. We'll have to see how that plays out. So I guess until next week, there's only one thing we can do, and what we do every week, is we have to turn to Mike and ask him for his thoughts of the week. So Mike, what are your thoughts of the week this week? My leaving sentiment is this. When you're having a bad week, and work's not going great, or life's not going great, just look at yourself in the mirror and say these words. I am Spartacus. On that note, thank you for joining us. Stay tuned for more coming very, very soon from all of us here at the Bad Scripts Podcast. Have a great week and goodbye. Bye. Bad Scripts was written and performed by Mike Garlier and Steve Jones, a Beach Tide production.